0: Adi Ashikian was an adventurer. She spent her 20s traveling the world. But when the Ontario native took a spur-of-the-moment trip to Asia, she would go missing in one of the safest cities in the world. Where is Adi Ashikian? I'm Charlie, and welcome to Crimelines. Welcome to day six of 12 Days of Crime Lines. We are halfway through. I want to thank Becky for sending this case suggestion over. This case starts in Toronto, Ontario. 30-year-old Ani Ashikian worked as a paralegal and she was preparing for a huge move. She was leaving Canada and she was going to Argentina for a new adventure. This was not something that is surprising for someone like Ani, She traveled all over the world, and she had a goal of visiting 30 countries before she ended her year of being 30, and her 31st birthday was coming up in January 2009, so she had a couple of trips in the fall of 2008 planned. One was a trip to Central America with her boyfriend, Wendell. Like most of Ani's international trips, this one had been planned well in advance, and it was something she had been looking forward to for a while. But then shortly before this trip, another opportunity came up. Two co-workers were traveling to Asia and invited Ani to come along. Unlike her usual planned trips, this one had a pretty quick turnaround, as in Ani returned to Canada from Central America on October 19th, and then six days later, she was on a plane to Beijing with her friends. Ani's family was surprised she went on this trip since she had just gotten back from a trip and it seemed pretty impulsive for her. But like with all her other trips, Ani did stay in contact with everyone back home every few days while she was gone. The initial plan for this trip to Asia was that the group of three women would spend time together in Beijing. Then Ani's two coworkers were heading to Southeast Asia Well, Ani had plans to go by herself to a four-week yoga retreat in India. She then intended to fly home from India on December 15th and be home in time for the holidays. A couple of weeks back home in time to pack up and say goodbye before she headed to Buenos Aires. Photos from Beijing show the three women having a good time together. On October 30th, Annie's friends said she left the hotel room in the middle of the night without saying anything to them. This wasn't necessarily odd because it was midday back in Toronto, so it's very possible she just couldn't sleep. Annie was not averse to wandering a city at night by herself. Annie did return to the hotel hours later, but the other two women had already left to go sightseeing. Ani cleaned up and had a cup of coffee before she packed her things and left. And I mean, she packed all of her things and left for good. This was earlier than they expected her to leave for India, so it seems like they were a little concerned at first when Ani and her stuff was just gone when they got back. The lack of leaving a note or sending a goodbye text was probably the most troubling part. Annie was definitely the type to do her own thing, and she would go off from the itinerary from time to time, but they would have expected her to at least say goodbye. They said there hadn't been an argument or any tension between them that would explain this sudden departure. So this was October 31st. It's unclear where Annie went directly from here. She ended up in another city in China, Xi'an, by the 9th, and we know that because she boarded a plane from Xi'an to Hong Kong that day. It's assumed she went by train from Beijing to Xi'an. It's hard for me to say how long this would have taken because now there's a high-speed train between the two cities, so it would have only taken five to six hours, but this train wasn't there in 2009, and from what I can tell, It would have taken probably double this time. This leaves us with about a week of Ani's movements that have not been reported. I assume since her sister later said she used her credit card frequently on this trip that they do know where she went and they were able to trace it. They just haven't released it to us. Truth is, it's probably not even relevant since we know she made it to Hong Kong just fine four days prior to arriving in Hong Kong, which would have been November 5th, Ani sent her last email before she stopped using it entirely. It's reported that Ani's last phone usage was either on November 10th or November 11th. The inconsistent reporting probably has a lot to do with time zones. Her last communications were with someone back home in Ontario, and Hong Kong is 13 hours ahead of Toronto. So the morning of the 11th in Hong Kong would have been the evening of the 10th in Ontario. Some sources say that Ani talked to her sister on the phone and then sent a text with a happy birthday message for her two-year-old niece. The birthday message was sent at 8.30 in the morning. Another source has said that there was not a phone call, it was just the text message. Regardless, this text was the last anyone has heard from Ani. For the next two weeks or so, no one back home was terribly concerned when they didn't hear from her. Ani would drop out of touch while traveling for days at a time. They did know she was going to some yoga retreat and maybe she had limited communications from there. There were also some assumptions made that surely she was in touch with someone. If it wasn't one sister, it was the other sister. And if it wasn't her, then it was the boyfriend but eventually everyone chatted and realized that none of them had heard from Ani in a while and she wasn't responding to them. So the family contacted the police in Canada. The police then reached out to the Foreign Affairs Department since they knew Ani was abroad. On December 9th, 2008, it was determined Hong Kong was the proper jurisdiction and the Hong Kong police took the missing person's report. According to the family, the police took Ani's disappearance very seriously from the start. That said, they did have a delay getting started because no one realized she was missing. Hong Kong has a remarkably low crime rate, and aside from petty theft, tourists really have very little to worry about. Hong Kong hadn't had a major incident with a tourist for several years before Ani went missing, And in that case, it was a British man who went out on a hike and didn't return. From the few reports I have seen, it was assumed he was injured on a solo hike. In the investigation tracking Ani's movements through Hong Kong, the police had a witness who placed Ani on November 10th at the Chungking Mansions. The Chungking Mansions is really a large building that has five separate blocks. It was initially designed to be residential, but it is really a mix of commercial stores and budget hotel accommodations. It has nearly 2,000 rooms, and it is the cheapest place to stay in the area, so it is very popular for people who are backpacking through or traveling on a budget. It does have a reputation for being a higher crime area in the otherwise safe and low-crime Hong Kong. A lot of the crimes have to do with drugs, petty thefts, things like that. They have, in recent years, installed a lot of cameras. About 70% of it is covered in cameras. But at the time Ani was seen there, there was not this extensive CCTV coverage. The sighting of Ani at Chungking Mansions doesn't mean she stayed there. And actually, there's no evidence she did. She never booked a room, at least not in her name. It doesn't seem like they know where Annie stayed while she was in Hong Kong, and they haven't found her booked anywhere else, as far as I can tell. She may have been in the Chungking Mansion's area because she was shopping. While this sighting is considered unconfirmed, we do know Annie was definitely in that area because late at night on the 10th into the 11th of November, Ani used her ATM card to withdraw money. This was confirmed to be her on CCTV footage. She was at the Causeway Bay train station, which is directly across the harbor from the Chungking mansions. It would be about 20 to 30 minutes by car or ferry. And this puts it within hours of the last contact Annie had with her family. Ani took out a bit less than 3,000 Hong Kong dollars from the ATM in two separate back-to-back transactions. This would be about $470 in Canadian dollars. I asked a friend who lives in Hong Kong, and he told me this would not be considered a large amount of money if Ani was paying cash for pretty much anything, including food or transportation, and certainly a hotel. Hong Kong has budget options, but it is still a relatively expensive city. The question would be, why would Ani suddenly switch to using cash? Because she had been using her card at least once a day or once every other day. But this withdrawal of cash was the last transaction on her bank accounts. In the CCTV from the ATM, Ani appears to be alone, and she does not look stressed at all. There was really nothing unusual in how she appeared. She did turn her head while she was at the ATM, but it didn't look like she was looking at or for something. It's likely she was just checking her surroundings, like you would do at an ATM late at night. It's not known where Ani traveled from there. She was at a train station, so it's possible she used the cash to get a train ticket but it's also possible she just used that ATM because it was nearby. As far as leaving Hong Kong, it is important to understand that while it is a part of China, Hong Kong has a lot of autonomy and strong borders. If Ani crossed the border into mainland China, she would have had to go through passport control. It doesn't matter how she left, she would have had to go through passport control. In checking the records, they could find when Ani entered Hong Kong on the 9th, but no record of her leaving. Ani did have a ticket back to Canada from India, booked for December 15th. So the investigators and the family waited that day to see if Ani somehow avoided border control in Hong Kong and in India and showed up for that flight. As expected, she did not. Her ticket went unused, and Ani had made no attempts with the airline to change it. Around Christmas time, Ani's boyfriend Wendell traveled to Hong Kong to search for her and to talk to people to be on the ground aiding the search. There were a lot of local volunteers who searched the area where Ani was last seen. They helped distribute flyers, and they were just there to help. Like I mentioned, Hong Kong is a safe city. A tourist going missing was alarming. And when they realized Ani's loved ones were across the world, they really wanted to help. A Facebook page was started and a tip came in from a 19-year-old student from the UK. He believed he saw Ani in Hong Kong on December 2nd. He was near the Causeway Bay station where Ani had last used the ATM three weeks before. He said a woman approached him and asked for directions to the Ikea store. He walked her around the corner to point out the directions, and then she left heading towards the Ikea. He said he didn't think anything of this until he saw the news about Ani being missing, and he recognized her as the woman asking for directions. There was another sighting around Christmas time in that same basic area, but it is also considered unconfirmed, just like the IKEA sighting, just like the Chunking Mansion sighting. Part of the reason it is hard to put too much stock into eyewitness sightings is because we do have a New Year's Eve sighting that we know wasn't Ani. Someone called in to say he saw a Canadian woman the previous day. She was playing her guitar and trying to get money to pay for a visa to mainland China. He said he thought she said her name was Ani. So the volunteers raced out to that area where he said he saw the woman and looked for her. They searched and they asked around, and they eventually found the woman that tipster had seen, and it was not Ani. This was another Canadian woman, and her name was Emily, not Ani. The man must have misunderstood what she said. It's possible the other people who thought they saw Ani had actually seen maybe Emily or maybe someone else who looked like her. Ani was of Armenian and Lebanese descent, and some people suspect she would have appeared South Asian to many in Hong Kong, like thousands and thousands of other people. She wouldn't have necessarily stood out. Wendell had to return to Canada having not found Ani. Ani's sister went to Hong Kong in January 2009 and again in May 2009 to search. Around this time, author Michael Connolly realized he was actually in Hong Kong at the Chungking Mansions within 48 hours of Ani's last ATM withdrawal. He was there researching for a book and it was when he got home and was doing more online research that he found Ani's case on the internet. And he realized there was a possible overlap in his visit. Because he was there on a research trip for writing a book, he took a lot of photographs and even video on this trip. So he scoured all of it to see any hint of Ani amongst the 100 or so people who showed up in his pictures and video. He didn't find anything, but this overlap did help get more media attention on this case. Ani's family went on to hire a private investigator and turned over her journal that she had left behind in Canada to the investigator. He felt it showed her state of mind before she left for Hong Kong, and he even had a psychologist look at it because he saw some moments of concern. I will say not a lot of the specifics have been released along those lines, but there have been a few vague points brought up. One was that Ani was acting more impulsive than usual. She had made those last-minute plans for a trip to China. Her sister didn't even know she was going until right before she left. Then they found out she never applied for a visa to go to India, so she wouldn't have been able to attend that yoga retreat. At first, I thought maybe she didn't know she needed the visa because a lot of countries you can go to for 30, 60, 90 days without one. But Ani was a seasoned traveler, so that's the sort of thing she would have looked up first and would have learned that from Canada to India, she would have needed a visa. And she would have needed one that she had to apply for in advance. She couldn't get it when she landed. But maybe she really didn't know, and she decided to stay in China and explore a bit. Or maybe she was still going to try to get to India and she was going to apply for the visa at an embassy or a consulate in Hong Kong. I mean, it's not like she didn't have options when she left Canada to get a visa to India elsewhere. But Ani also hadn't applied for a visa to move to Argentina, which is another thing she would have needed if she was planning to stay For more than 90 days, or she was going to work while she was there, which is what it sounds like was her plan, because she and Wendell were having a conversation about whether he was going to move with her. Now, it's possible Ani did plan to just go to Argentina short-term at first, make sure she liked it before she committed to moving there, and then she could apply for the visa and residency. You know, we don't know. There are all these other possibilities. However, for someone like Ani, who tended to plan things out in advance, it does seem odd that she didn't apply for either visa. Ani had also left without saying goodbye to her friends in Beijing, which was out of character. But on the other hand, she did remember her niece's birthday and sent the text, even though she was on the other side of the world. So it's not like Ani was having some major mental break. Honestly, it sounds like she was having a period of flakiness while she was doing a lot of traveling and she was contemplating a move to another country. That doesn't sound absurd to me that that would have happened. I don't think it really gives us any clues as to what happened to Ani. Now, there was another thing mentioned that Ani took out a lot of money before she left Canada, but we do know she was still using her cards while traveling, so I don't know why she took out that money or where she spent it. The PI did say something I thought was interesting, which is it's possible Ani left Hong Kong by boat. It's easier to avoid passport control if you leave by boat, but from what I've read, it's not much easier. But it does appear the most likely way someone could sneak out of the city. One thought was that Ani would have traveled to the island of Macau, as to why this particular island. Ani spoke Portuguese, and Macau is a former Portuguese colony. Macau is densely populated with a huge tourist side to it, particularly gambling and casinos. That wasn't something that would have attracted Ani to the island. Reportedly, she was more of a hiking historical locations kind of tourist. She would rather walk around and see architecture of a new city rather than spend it in a resort or a casino. So it's not clear any other reason she would have gone there specifically except for the language thing. There are concerns with human trafficking in the area and every area, let's be honest. However, the trafficking usually happens with people who are seeking employment in the area and they are recruited for what they think is a legitimate job, only to end up in labor trafficking or sex trafficking. Kidnapping is actually one of the less common ways people end up victims of human trafficking. People are more often lured into it, and I don't see the hook they would have used to get Ani to go with them. I'm not saying that's not what happened here. When a case is unsolved for as long as this one has been, 13 long years, it is important to keep an open mind to all possibilities. I do, however, think that the answer, because of the strong borders of Hong Kong, very likely lies in the city. Ani Ashikian would be almost 44 years old today. She is 5'4", and at the time of her disappearance, she weighed 120 pounds with an athletic build. She has brown hair and brown eyes. If you have any information, please call the Regional Missing Persons Unit of Hong Kong Island at... 852-3660-1040. This number will be in the show notes.